The information provided in this podcast and on this website is intended for a Canadian audience. It is for informational purposes only and does not create a physician-patient relationship. It is not to be used as professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or care, nor is it intended to be used as a substitute. Anyone with any questions regarding medical conditions, issues, or problems should seek the advice of a physician. Hi, and welcome to episode 10 of Peep the Process, a sport and exercise medicine podcast for Canadian student-athletes. Well, James, we're getting close to recording our final episode. That's right. At the beginning of the summer, we planned to record and release 12 episodes because that would take us to the end of the summer when you have to leave to head back to school. Yeah, school will be a bit strange this year, but I'm excited to get back to hitting the books. Emma, I feel like we've accomplished a lot this summer. I totally agree with you, James. We want to thank our associate producer, Enrica, who has been such a huge asset to our team. And we also want to thank our advisory committee. They've been providing feedback to us after every episode, letting us know what we can do to improve our podcast. We've received some excellent feedback and we hope they have enjoyed listening to our podcast each week. So James, after talking to Jane, who competed in the Olympics, Ryan, who went on to play semi-professional baseball, And of course, the Paralympians, who have all achieved so much. Yeah, way more gold than even you, Emma. (laughs) Yes. What do we say to the athletes that don't end up continuing their sport after high school or university? Emma, I always wanted this podcast to speak to all student athletes. I think it's important to note that this is the majority of student athlete situation, ending their competitive sports participation when their schooling ends. James, I know it was for me. I stopped skating after high school because my university didn't have a figure skating team. I was able to join the local figure skating club in my second year of university, but after being off for a year and a half and not having much to work on, it just wasn't the same. Exactly. And it's important that if that sport is something you love and is a passion for you, then try to find a way to continue doing that sport. Figure skating is a trickier sport to do at university, but for those graduating high school, there are intramural teams for basketball, soccer, volleyball, and various other sports at most universities. There are also leagues you can join after university, such as men's and women's hockey, baseball, and soccer leagues. You can complete distance races while running, cycling, or I know, James, one of your favorite sports, triathlon. Yeah, I love triathlon. Absolutely. So many of my patients race like this and compete in adult leagues. And Emma, for skaters like you, when I was the lead doctor at the Canadian Synchronized Skating Championships in Oshawa two years ago, you'd be glad to see that many teams from across Canada have, shall we say, much older or mature skaters than you might expect if you just thought that teenagers compete there for national glory. So student athletes, think about lifelong sports competition just like our guest this week will explain. Speaking of our guest, Dr. Roz Lougheed Simpson is a sport and exercise medicine physician in Toronto. She is a sport medicine physician for the Ryerson University and Centennial College student athletes and practices at Cleveland Clinic Canada. When she's not in the office or providing care to athletes field or rinkside, Dr. Lougheed Simpson is passionate about riding and racing her mountain bike 
and is a self-proclaimed endurance sport junkie and avid competitor. Ross, please tell our student athlete listeners how you managed to train, compete, and stay passionate about your sports even after your schooling has been finished. Sure. So I've been passionate about training and racing in various sports for really as long as I can remember. Generally, the actual sport that I was doing at any given time was somewhat dependent on where I was living for school and what facilities and geography was available to me to do any particular activity. Um, but certainly during my medical training, um, athletics and, and the training and racing that was involved in that in general did go on the back burner. So in the grand scheme of things, you have a relatively small window in which to do your medical training. And the focus for me was certainly on that for a number of years. And in times like that, where you have a clear focus and you're dedicating a lot of your time to one area, um, you, you do, or I found it's very important to remember to be kind to yourself and to recognize that you might not be able to compete on the same level that you used to, or that some of your other competitors currently can. But it really is about big picture and balance. Um, planning your time, how you're going to spend that time, and who you're going to spend it with um, is extremely important. And now as a staff, uh, I do have more control, a bit more control in my schedule. So I can carve out some more dedicated time to train and do some racing, which has been really, really great over the past couple of years. So Roz, what was it like to work field side or rink side at Western? It was awesome. It was a really fantastic experience overall. One of the important pieces of a sport and exercise medicine fellowship is the opportunity to be involved in event coverage. So sports activities in all forms, basically. Um, during my years at Western, there was so much opportunity, a really great variety. So one day you might have been relocating a rugby player's um, shoulder field side. Another night you might be sewing up a facial laceration uh, at the rink during a hockey game. You're literally seeing the injuries as they happen, which is quite distinct from other areas of medicine. And while you may end up covering a variety of events, you're also responsible for covering particular teams during a season. So what that might mean is you're meeting the players, the coaches, the trainers during their preseason physicals, and then you get to know them um, better and better as the season goes by because you're attending their games, you may be attending some of their practices, that kind of thing. And so it's a very um, unique physician and patient relationship um, and differs from other parts, other relationships that you'd have in other fields of medicine. And uh, I guess student athletes, they, they usually don't see the medical staff because they're too focused on uh, the competition. And unless you have an injury or rarely an illness uh, while competing, you might not even encounter uh, the medical personnel. So please tell our student athlete listeners about the Fowler Kennedy Clinic at Western and what student athletes need to know about what goes on behind the scenes at this type of university sport medicine clinic. Yeah, so the Fowler Kennedy Sport Medicine Clinic in London is a world-class sport medicine facility that consists of a team of sport medicine doctors, orthopedic surgeons, physiatrists, physiotherapists, uh, massage therapists, many other allied health team members. It's, it's a long list of very qualified people that, that make up the team. And they collectively look after individuals involved at all level of physical activity, whether it's somebody just getting into activity or, you know, multiple 
um, people who have competed at multiple Olympic Games, for example, World Cup athletes, you know, really the most elite level. Um, and this is across age groups. They see, you know, pediatric patients, so patients that are, you know, young under the age of 16, all the way to, you know, your, your 90 plus year old athletes. So big variety. There are three clinic locations um, in total for the, the Fowler cluster of clinics. So on the Western and Fanshawe campuses, as well as in downtown London. And on any given day, if you walk into one of these facilities, um, you'll, you'll notice that there are various um, MDs running clinics. There will be big open gym areas where um, athletes or all comers are rehabbing and doing their training exercises to get better from injury. And there's always a lot of learners ranging from undergrad volunteers to medical students, residents, uh, fellows, a, a really big group. So the student athletes would generally not know how they interact with one another. Uh, so what do student athletes need to know about what happens between the members of their care teams? Student athletes should know that each member of the care team brings a different strength and skill set to the table, but that each member is working towards a common goal, and that is to help them to get better and to perform at their best, uh, to the best of their ability and at their highest level. They should know that oftentimes the different members of the team will communicate with each other so that we can ensure that everyone is up to date and on the same page regarding their care. So this week, we are going to focus upon common wrist and hand injuries. Roz, can you tell us what are the most common hand and wrist injuries you see in your practice? Sure. Common uh, wrist and hand injuries that I would see in my practice range from things like fractures or, or breaks of the bones in the wrist and in the fingers, um, dislocations, and um, injuries involving the tendons of the wrist and the hands as well. So those soft tissues. So how did these injuries commonly occur? I tend to divide these injuries into those that occur because of an acute trauma or an injury that has happened quite recently. For example, someone comes to me having had a fall onto their wrist or hand um, or an impact. Maybe they've taken a hit in a hockey game, something like that. And then there are those groups of injuries that tend to happen because of overuse. So those can occur in athletes who are involved in sports, for example, with repetitive uh, wrist and hand movements, things like golf or tennis. Can you tell us why is it important for the student athlete to have a doctor assess the injury if their concerns persist? If you're an athlete who's injured your hand, don't necessarily wait to have a trainer, physiotherapist, or even a doctor take a look at it. Certainly there are instances where rest ice um, and over-the-counter pain medication may be all that's needed, um, but it's not unusual for me to see athletes come into my office sometime after they've been injured, whether it's you know days or weeks or sometimes even longer because they've downplayed the significance of their injury. Sometimes these injuries as a result of waiting can take longer to heal because of this delay of treatment and may even require surgery in some instances. So given how important your hands are not only to your sport, but in everyday life, if you have any concerns about an injury to the, the wrist or the hand, don't hesitate to have a health professional examine you. What can a student athlete do to prevent hand and wrist injuries? Generally speaking, making sure that your technique is optimized. Um, 
for sports that require those repetitive motions, that's very important. Um, it may be also important to make sure that the muscle groups that are directly involved in the activity, for example, and as well as the supporting muscle groups are strong. So working on um, with somebody like a physio, a trainer, or even a strength and conditioning coach can help prevent injury in this way. Sometimes in situations where overuse is a problem, something like using a brace or a splint, um, either temporarily or for a longer term can be helpful. So this can be useful sometimes if an injury is healing, for example, uh, for protection when recovering from a fracture in the wrist, for example, this or to help reduce stress in sore tendons or ligaments. Can you give us an example of uh, a prevention strategy in one of yeah. the common sports? Yeah, for sure. So I, I think certainly um, the overuse category of injuries, I, I tend to see, you know, first sport I think that came to mind for whatever reason, maybe it's because of what's been going on with COVID, but my golfers um, and many schools will have a varsity golf team. The golfers will come in with overuse injuries, um, the elbow, the wrist, the hand, that kind of thing. Sometimes it's a matter of working on technique with them. Sometimes it's a matter of, um, you know, working with physio, as I mentioned, strengthening those groups, making sure that surrounding muscles are, are all working appropriately as well. And in doing that, particularly in their off season, leading up to when they're competing and really doing those, hitting a lot of balls, whether it's long game or short game, if they've done that work outside of the season, they're often a lot, a lot more durable going into the season. So from a preventative perspective, that can work well. You know, Emma and I have not heard the word golf on Peep the Process. So refreshing because Emma and I both love golf. I was going to say, I mean, I don't know Emma, but I know that you like golf. Oh, or at yeah. least I think I know you like golf. Yeah. So surprised that hasn't been worked in yet. She, she just told me she had three pars on the weekend uh, in, in nine holes. So do, you, do you know that that's something that's never happened to me when I've golfed? No. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not going to happen anytime soon. Good for her. Yeah. Roz, you mentioned that you experienced a hand injury during a biking incident. How did you return to your sport and work following the injury on your dominant left hand? Yeah, so that was actually an injury that happened at the beginning of my sport medicine fellowship. I was mountain biking. And so I had my hand on the bars. I came too close to a tree as I was riding by and I clipped the end of my hand on the tree. And I ended up actually with a boxer's fracture. So this is a break of the outside hand bone um, near where the finger starts. And so I ended up being seen at the London Hand and Upper Limb Clinic or, or Hulk as it's called. Um, the Hulk? It's called the acronym is Hulk and it's it's a fantastic it's an incredible uh, facility dedicated to everything just hand and upper limb only so you do rotate through there as a as a uh, a fellow and it's it's great I I digress but that was my introduction to to Hulk as a patient um, so I actually got to know some of the, the cast techs before I ever actually rotated through which was kind of fun uh, so I. I was casted and I ended up basically having to learn to use my non-dominant hand, which basically had just been around for decoration in my life up until that point. I really did very little with my non-dominant hand until that point when I was forced to do so. So you and Emma are both lefties. Us lefties got to stick together. You are uh, a competitive cyclist uh, and 
uh, on our podcast series, we're, we're all about giving our listeners a behind the scenes look at the process. So as a mountain biker, endurance sport junkie and competitor and doctor, what does the process mean to you? That's a great question. As a mentor once told me, if you have too many tops spinning, some are going to fall over. Choose only a few that mean the most to you and focus on keeping those spinning. That, that piece of advice has stayed with me for a long time. To me, what that means is there are many things in life that will pull you in multiple directions. It's important to focus on the parts of your life that you are most passionate about, that, that mean the most to you, and really focus on you know, giving the attention and balance to those. So the process to me is about learning as much as you can about those things that you are passionate about and trying to apply what you learn to be a little bit better than you were before every day. So how is that process for you, uh, you know, thinking about, okay, you know, I'm a, I'm a student athlete and I got to get serious about my career and then drop all my sports. Clearly that didn't happen with you. What was the process like for you and uh, how have you seen it play out? Yeah, so I, that was something that, you know, as I mentioned, was competitive with sport in high school, and then things were dropping off more and more as I got more and more focused on my studies. And because I you got busy. Exactly, exactly. And when you're doing, you know, 24-hour-plus call, you know, every third or every fourth night for, for periods of time, it becomes you very much need to know yourself. You need to know how much sleep you need. And then you need to then look at that and say, okay, how much free time do I have and how am I going to spend it? And that'll be a little bit different for everybody. For me, that involved, you know, not doing as much sport and certainly not being able to be competitive with it for, for a long stretch of time. And that was something that, you know, if, if you're focused and passionate about something like medical training, that is a necessary step, I think, for a lot of people is to let some of those other things fall away. And depending on where things go with your training and your personal life, I think it's important to, to understand that you may be able to come back to that thing later on. It's not necessarily a goodbye forever. Um, I think that once, you know, once a competitor, always a competitor is, is how I feel about, um, myself and I think certainly a lot of my um you know co-competitors racers very good friends that I've competed against for years sometimes you know you know expanding your family or personal circumstances or getting a new job you may be less competitive you may not be on the competition circuit for a period of time you may not even have much time to train um but that doesn't mean that that's going to be the case ongoing and so I think that it sounds very cliche, but I think the focus on the journey is very important. And knowing that you can come back to things. It's not forever. Is there anything else that you'd like to say to our student athlete listeners? Definitely. To the student athlete listeners out there, being a student athlete certainly has its challenges, but the dual roles will often complement each other. Sometimes a lesson that you may have learned in sport might not have been immediately apparent to you, but it will serve you well down the line in your chosen profession later on. And I'd also like to say just thanks, thanks for listening. Be sure to join us for our next episode when Dr. Melissa Corso is our guest and she'll be talking about low back pain.
Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Instagram at Peep the Process Podcast and on Twitter and Facebook at Peep the Process. Our website can be found at peeptheprocess.buzzsprout.com. This podcast is produced by Emma Jacobs along with associate producer Enrica Emichuro. Special thanks to the Department of Family Medicine at the Scarborough Health Network, the Athletic Department at Seneca College, and the Canadian Academy of Sport and Exercise Medicine for their support. See you next time. At this point, we would like to remind you that the information provided in this podcast and on this website is intended for a Canadian audience. It is for informational purposes only and does not create a physician-patient relationship. It is not to be used as professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or care, nor is it intended to be used as a substitute. Anyone with any questions regarding medical conditions, issues, or problems should seek the advice of a physician.